What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Don't Give Up the Ship Podcast, episode 122. Uh, and today I am talking to Dr. David Spiegel. I am very excited uh, to be sharing this with everyone. It, it took us a while because I was having a hard time uh, when I transitioned. And you guys know this if you've kept up with the podcast. But when I transitioned out uh, from the active duty to retirement, I made a couple of decisions I probably shouldn't have, including stopping my medication uh, for anxiety uh, and insomnia and uh, stopping therapy as I was transitioning out of the military. It was a plan I had with my therapist. We thought it was a good idea at the time. Uh, it turned out not to be. And so I was having a really rough time when we tried to schedule this the first time and I just was too busy trying to put out the dumpster fire that was my life at the time. Um, but I got through it. I got back on meds. I'm doing really well now. And uh, luckily, we were able to reschedule it. Uh, and have an incredibly productive conversation. You ever been walking through the Navy Exchange and wonder why all the Naval Pride and Heritage gear is horrifically ugly and you wouldn't actually wear it? Have you ever wanted some really cool gear and you just don't know where to go? Well, I got you, fam. Go to dgutsapparel.com immediately. Get yourself some Naval Pride and Heritage gear you'll actually wear in public. Uh, we're working on new designs all the time, open to ideas. We're trying to create a brand that uh, lets you display that pride, but doesn't make you cringe. Uh, also, if you're willing to and you're able to, please go to patreon.com slash podcast. Pick one of the five tiers and become a patron today. I'm going to read a little bit just to make sure I get it all right. Uh, so if I'm, you know, I'm going to look away for a second. But uh, Dr. Spiegel is the associate chair of psychiatry at Stanford University. Uh, he's studied many things. I mean, his career is extremely prolific and it's been very long. But uh, he is a director of stress and health at Stanford and studies things like hypnosis and how you can use that uh, to address a lot of the issues that we have in the military. And it was kind of ironic and a little funny that like pretty much everything he's he focuses on almost uh is stuff i have a problem with like i have a bunch of sleep issues uh he talks uh he does research and has expertise in things like uh how cancer can lead to all kinds of mental health issues uh like all this kind of stuff that was extremely relevant to me so i was very excited to talk to him for that reason as well but me being me who i mean i spent 21 years in the military uh, have a lot of the audience and, and veterans, like everybody can benefit from this information. Uh, and I'm really, really excited to share it with you all. Um, Dr. Spiegel is a very, very high level experienced, uh, expert in all of these topics that we, that we spent probably 90 minutes on, but also just super cool dude, really easy to talk to. Uh, and you can find a lot of his other stuff all over the internet. Uh, he's been on a bunch of other podcasts. If you want to hear more from him on, on different topics, but a uh, great dude had a, had a really fun time and I hope you all enjoy this. Check it out. All right. Awesome. <laughs> so I'm really, really happy to be here with you. Uh, it took us a while to get here. Mostly my fault. Uh, like I just was uh, having some scheduling issues, but uh, I really appreciate you doing this. Uh, and as we talked about, if you would just kind of provide a real quick uh, introduction of who you are and, and what you do, and then we'll go from there. Sure. Uh, I'm David Spiegel, MD. I'm a psychiatrist. Uh, I'm uh, a professor and associate chair of psychiatry at Stanford University School of Medicine, where I've been on the faculty since 1975. 
Uh, I started out working at the Palo Alto Veterans Administration Medical Center for five years there and then switched over to the campus uh, in 1980. Um, I do research on stress and health. I run a center on stress and health at Stanford. I also run a center for integrative medicine. Uh, I'm, my research includes uh, emotional support for people who are facing death, dying cancer patients, mm -hmm. uh, running support groups and studying how they work. And hypnosis. I've I've been working on hypnosis my entire career. I've mm. used hypnosis with I estimate about seven thousand research subjects and patients, and uh, we're using that experience now to to have to build an app called Reverie, which um, mm. anybody can use to help them get a taste of self hypnosis from me. Uh, and I and I think we'll be talking about that later on. Definitely. So my my. Training, interest, and, and mission is to help people dealing with stress, traumatic stress. I've dealt with combat veterans, uh, sexual assault survivors, um, people with the emotional aftermath of physical and sexual abuse. And uh, I've learned a lot and try to help them face and deal with problems that arise out of exposure to trauma. We've also done studies on sleep and how sleep can affect things like coping with cancer and other uh, mm -hmm. stressors and mm -hmm. how to enhance sleep and help people manage anxiety. Okay. Yeah. Interestingly, like the, the other thing I hadn't told you that is I'm also a cancer survivor. I got diagnosed with uh, oh. an esthesio neuroblastoma in March of 2020, right as COVID was blowing up. So, uh, so another fun, like it was interesting as I was reading your background and, and I watched mm -hmm. the uh, podcast you did with Andrew Huberman um, and it was mm -hmm. funny because like as you described a lot of things you do I'm like good God like I've I, I check every box like the sleep issues the <laughs> stress and anxiety issues the cancer issues so I'm very well, interested to yeah I'm very interested right. to talk about all the things but uh, I figured we'd lead off with um, so the and I'll link this to that like leadership issue that I, I kind of primed you for before. But anxiety in the military is a gigantic issue. Um, and, and they do have a few programs they've rolled out to start to uh, try to address it at the from the beginning. They have this program called Warrior Toughness that uh, they basically had a, a Navy SEAL, um, a chaplain and a uh, psychologist get together and put together a program to try to give like coping mechanisms and, and resilience based like tools to uh, sailors as they're in like recruit training and the schools that they go through before they get out into the fleet. But um, just based on the like lack of sleep and the operational tempo and all of the demands of all the things that we do uh, all the way up to and including like uh, people that are in combat and stuff like that. It's it's a it's a huge issue. And I'm wondering if you could talk through specific to the military audience, uh, if possible, like what kind of what causes anxiety, I guess. And it seems like this this like very um, abstract uh, thing that I, like I, I've been through therapy with a psychologist, like a Navy psychologist, and um, it definitely helped. But it's I'm still dealing with it to this day. And so I, I wonder if you could talk about kind of like what it is, how it happens and some of the some of the mechanisms for addressing it. Sure. Well, um, one of the way I might start doing this is first of all to say that I have great admiration for what the men and women in the service do, and you know there there are reasons for the anxiety. You know that um, you have great responsibilities. You mm -hmm. you have to be on instant prep at all times, 
for something terrible happening and needing to go into action and right. take risks to to defend our country and and protect your buddies. Um, I, I'd start out talking about the relationship between anxiety and fear. Mm-hmm. And I would tell you that in part of my psychotherapeutic work with people who suffer with anxiety, I actually try to help them convert anxiety into fear. That is, mm-hmm. it's better if you know what you're, what's actually making you uncomfortable because then mm-hmm. you're more likely to be able to figure out what to do about it. And the problem with anxiety is that it's kind of vague and generalized. You're just yeah. worried, but you're not sure why you're worried or what you're mm-hmm. worried about. And, and the more that's the case, the less you can come up with strategies for dealing with it. You know, if you're afraid of something, you think, okay, what's the threat? How am I going to handle it? And that can be a, an operational problem within your unit, or it can be an enemy that you're having mm-hmm. to deal with. But the more you know about your enemy, the better you're likely to be able to protect yourself and deal with the enemy. Okay. So. Uh, anxiety and one one other thing about anxiety is because it's sort of vague, you're uncomfortable, you're not quite sure why, mm-hmm. and a lot of the way in which you perceive your discomfort is physical. It's it's yeah. recognizing that your body's getting tense, your muscles are tight, you're starting to sweat, um, you're having trouble concentrating, uh, and then you notice that you're feeling that bad and you get even more anxious. You think, right. oh, this is really bad because my body's reacting. Mm-hmm. And it be, it's like a snowball rolling downhill. So yeah. the perception of the physical problems enhances the mental discomfort, and the mental discomfort makes the physical problems worse. So a lot of what I try to help people do is first control your own physical reaction, get comfortable, more comfortable within your own body, and then take a look at what's going on and see what you can figure out to deal with it. Mm. And so the I'm interested in the how like how does one convert anxiety into fear? Because that uh, like the a lot of my anxiety was like I I, po- I can point at certain things that um, like on the last submarine I was when we would deploy I was standing a watch station called diving off to the watch and so you're the you're the most senior enlisted watch standing on the submarine and you're um, it, to try to convert it into like into normal uh, a normal explanation, it's like flying an airplane underwater. You're responsible for all of the uh, control surfaces and ballasting and all the things to make the submarine go where it needs to go, and you're responsible for ship safety. So it's kind of that weight of I have you know 160 plus people's safety in in like, and it's my responsibility. Um, so that I had a really hard time with, and that's when I started to notice the physical manifestations especially in the and the it really severely affecting my sleep but then it uh i i had a there's been a bunch of other things especially when i removed that stressor from my life when i i transferred to what we call shore duty so i'm just working in a building uh and then uh when i was diagnosed with cancer as well i like the god bless the doctors at university of washington oncology and ent like they were absolutely incredible and i describe it like talking to a fighter pilot like they were so positive they were going to fix me it it made me very uh calm and at ease so uh what was bizarre for me is i was terrified of the brain surgery we did that tumors out everything went great when i the first day i started radiation treatment i uh i still felt normal i felt better than i had in a really long time bizarrely i was sleeping a little better and uh, now that I didn't have a giant tumor in my face. And, um, w- the first day of radiation, went in, did it. You know, you come back out. Nothing, it's not 
being treated I, I was in there for 20 minutes it doesn't feel like anything there's kind of a weird smell and it's uncomfortable because you got the mesh thing over your face but then come back out to my car and and just break down um i'm sobbing in my car my wife's asking me what's wrong and i'm like i don't know like i'm i'm not consciously worried about anything because of the conversations i've had with these doctors um so i'm curious about like kind of why that is and then how does how does one go about converting anxiety into fear and and then what like how do, how does it how do you cope with that fear to get to a place of uh like a like a healthy uh, a healthy state well i think um part of what you're reporting is your own journey and effort to convert your anxiety into fear that um Ooh. but you're saying it would sort of happen in reverse you knew what the problem was they diagnosed it they removed mm-hmm. the tumor and then I think probably once you were done with that first radiation treatment, mm-hmm. it was all beginning, you know, you had kind of hunkered down to get through what you had to get through. Yeah. And often people do that. And then when the acute action is over, then you allow yourself to feel some of the emotion that you had okay. kind of put aside. You said, I got it. You know, it's like, it was like you were still the duty officer in the submarine of your own <laughs> treatment. Yeah. You know, I got to be alert. I got to deal with what I got to deal with. And finally, when you had had the surgery and the radiation, the first radiation you'd gotten through, I think you were able to feel, okay, I don't have to be on guard now because it's being mm. taken care of. And all the other feelings start to bubble up. Fear, uncertainty, what's going to happen? How different is my life going to be after this? Mm-hmm. And some of it may have been relief, actually. You know, the surgery... Okay could have been worse you know you're you're but you're now allowing yourself the luxury of experiencing those feelings of discomfort after all after it was all over and you didn't have to lock lock down and just get through it you know and i think that's often the case that you allow yourself the luxury of seeing what you're really feeling uh once you've gotten the task accomplished okay um and like so so for just generally like uh if, if you were going to see a patient that required the converting anxiety into fear, like what does that look like? Like how, what's that process? I, I would just say, well, what do you think, you know, is the basis of what's, uh, what's troubling you? You know, what's, mm-hmm. what's the worst part of this? Um, what's the thing that makes you most uncomfortable? I, I try to get people to look it in the eye and just say, what was the worst aspect of it? If you were in a traumatic situation, what was it? And it's not always what you might expect, you know, that, uh, uh, people uh, who are threatened, who are in physically threatening situations, it's often just the feeling not of pain or fear, but um, the, the sense of sort of losing agency, of not of being an yeah. object that, that the world is doing stuff to, but you don't control it anymore. We don't mm-hmm. like that. It's like your body is restrained. Yeah. And so sometimes the things you would think would make people most uncomfortable aren't what it is. So I part of what I'm doing is inquiring, what was the worst aspect of this for you. I, I had a, I, I treated a woman who had, was in the World Trade Center when it, when it uh, oh, wow. was attacked. And she was getting down um, the staircase, that walking down, they couldn't use the elevators. And she's telling herself one foot after the other, if I just get to the ground floor, I'll be okay. And that, that was her sort of mantra, that she just mm-hmm. narrowed her focus and did what she needed to do, she thought, to stay alive. And when she hit the floor, the other building collapsed. 
mm-hmm. and she got blown out the the plate glass window in the front oh, wow. and she survived thank god uh, yeah. but she was angry with herself so i asked her what was the worst part of it and she says i was lying to myself i thought i'd be safe if i got to the ground floor and i wasn't mm-hmm. and i thought you know good for you you know you did what you needed to do to get out of that thing alive yeah and 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 yet that was what made her most upset that she felt she was misleading herself and very often people in in traumatic situations blame themselves for things they didn't control they they'd rather feel guilty than helpless yeah and so sometimes the residual anxiety has to do with mistakenly blaming yourself for events you didn't control and that's one of the things i do i say what you really ought to be afraid of is you know in, in that case who could have known you know uh, right. you know some of our senior officials should have known but you know the people in the building didn't know um and so uh it, it's more sort of once you see that you say hey wait a minute you know i'm beating myself up over something that was not my fault and if i can face my helplessness then i can also stop making myself so miserable about what i went through Okay. Yeah, that's really interesting because I, yeah, I, I went through a stage of that as well. Like, the really huh. not, yeah, kind of not trusting myself to make decisions. And that was the, the, mm. it was terrifying that, um, like, because I, I didn't feel like I could trust my own thought process, uh, in order to make certain decisions because I was afraid I was making decisions based on, like, um, my comfort level, I guess, or like the whatever, whatever would make me less anxious is the decision I was going to make and it merits be damned, you know, like the, I wasn't, um, so I didn't feel like I was making, uh, sound decisions that were actually best for me. Uh, and it was a bizarre place to be in because, um, and, and part of that was the, that experience with the, it started with the, um, the radiation treatment reaction. And then there was a lot of time after that where I was having issues with just like my mood and like snapping at people and being uh, like not being able to control my emotions. And so it was just this weird, like I'm not in control anymore. And I don't understand why, because a lot of it, I couldn't, I couldn't explain at the time. Therapy definitely helped me fig like me figure out um, what it was. But um to an extent, I still feel like I'm I'm <laughs> there a little bit, but I definitely have a way better uh, command of it. But yeah, it was like a I just didn't feel like I could trust my own decision making, uh, and I felt like so so I felt like I wasn't in control, I guess. But well, you know, it's it's good that you were raising that question for yourself, that you were mm. aware that there might be a problem there because you had responsibility for people's lives, and yeah. so you want to be sure. But in general, in the neuroimaging studies we've done of people with things like post-traumatic stress disorder, mm-hmm. we find that the, they, part of what they have difficulty in is modulating emotion. And because, you know, having been through trauma, it stimulates very strong emotions. You know, yeah. you're afraid you're gonna die, you're angry, you're sad, you're all kinds of things. And the brain has a very delicate system of modulating emotion. There's a part of the prefrontal cortex, the medial prefrontal cortex, that is a kind of mood regulator that basically Ooh. says, you know, hey, calm down. There's a lot of people watching you now. You know, don't overdo it. Yeah. And there's a part of the brain, the amygdala, that's the center of fear and rage and just will explode, you know. And normally, in everyday life, 
these systems kind of balance each other out. You know, you say, maybe that's not a good thing to say to your commanding officer, you know, take a deep breath. Um, and so the two parts of the brain kind of balance one another. But when the stimuli are really extreme, when your life is threatened, when you're hurt, um, it's hard to get the balance right. So what people tend to do is they either overmodulate or they undermodulate. So people with PTSD often uh, are very irritable. They'll blow up about mm-hmm. just minor things. You know, some guy cuts in front of them and then he's ready yep. to go kill him, kind of thing. <laughs> um, or they un- they overmodulate their emotions. Mm-hmm. And where they just shut everything down and say, mm. I don't trust anything you're going to do or say, so just keep right. your mouth shut. And, and so, the, the, and that it for, causes what we call a dissociative form of PTSD, where people just detach themselves and act numb. But mm. they're not enough aware of some of the emotion that they're feeling. So the challenge is to get the balance right, to, to not suppress emotion too much, but not just right. let, it, let it explode either. Are there, because the, are there I'm curious what like tools are available like almost like if I could go back and tell my old self like hey do this and you'll de- cope with this better most I think most of the stress uh, that probably leads to anxiety and all these other things that most at least Navy uh, service members experience it's it's less of the like really dramatic spikes in stress like a combat uh, a combat related uh, specialty would be dealing with and more like this slow steady uh application of stress like it's still high stress but it's not that high but it's kind of ever present um and i and i wonder because like when i was standing diving off the watch that was eight hours a day seven days a week when the submarine wasn't at home so it was it was my daily routine every single day so i'm wondering if like if i was going into that situation or someone else was going into a situation where they're they're having that type of stress applied to them on a regular basis to the point where you kind of try to convince yourself it's normal like what would i be able to do to to like process that stress in a healthy way to hopefully not end up where i did well uh one of the things that we've developed is is reverie it's this Mm. uh digital interactive hypnosis app that um i i developed out of my 40 some years of experience helping people deal with stress Mm. and um uh it you hear my voice recorded giving you instructions about stress and sleep and other problems Mm. but it's interactive so i ask is your hand feeling light are you able to change the way your left hand feels and if they say yes they get one answer and if they say no they get another so it's more like the actual experience you would have with me in the office and one of the things that we teach people to do using self-hypnosis in reverie is to first start out dealing with your somatic your physical reaction to the stress before you try and figure out what's stressing you just get control of how your body's reacting to it so you in hypnosis you can do remarkable things to change the way your body feels mm-hmm. you can make one hand feel lighter than the other um, it's part of the test we do for people's ability to experience hypnosis mm-hmm. and you can have your hand feel like it's a balloon and float up in the air and you pull it down and it'll float right <laughs> back up and people are amazed they say I can't, yeah. I can't do that but you can which means you can also change other sensations you can change pain filter the hurt out of the pain so that mm-hmm. you're not you can actually get some control over uh, sensory problems like pain and stress. And part of the problem with stress is that it's an interaction between mind and body. Mm. So when a stressor comes, 
you you know you in general prepare to fight or flee so your mm. muscles get tense your heart rate goes up you start to sweat you breathe more yep. rapidly your sympathetic nervous system is increasing your readiness to fight now mm. sometimes that's a good idea if you actually have to get into a fight right. but a lot of times it isn't and so what tends to happen then is you notice that you're feeling more tense physically and you think, oh God, this must be really bad yeah. because my body is like this. And mm -hmm. then your body says he's getting more anxious and it's like a snowball rolling yep. downhill. So I teach people using self-hypnosis to first just deal with the part of the stress that you really have control over and that's your body's reaction to it. Okay. So imagine you're floating in a bath, a lake, a hot tub, or just floating in space. Go to your favorite place. Mm -hmm. Detach yourself from where you are physically now and just get your body comfortable first. Use your experience of calming, comfortable, pleasant situations, lying on a beach, being in a lake, whatever it is, to, to those associations to get your body more comfortable. And then once your body is, then I'll have them visualize on an imaginary screen something that is causing them stress, one thing. You know, one of the other problems with anxiety is you'll picture everything that's bothering yeah. you once. And that immediately <laughs> makes it certain that you can't handle any mm -hmm. of them because it's too much. So I say pick one. Yeah. Focus on the thing that's making you most uncomfortable right now. And then I'll have them divide this imaginary screen and say, okay, the rule is you keep your body comfortable. You're, you're floating in a lagoon in Tahiti or whatever mm. it is. You're picturing a stressor. And now use the other side of the screen to brainstorm how to deal with it. Picture one thing you could do about it. I'll talk with a guy. I'll get a different job. I'll do you know, anything that you think might be a way of addressing it. So you're also feeling better because you're beginning to form a plan for how Ooh. to deal with the stressor. So this is starting to convert anxiety into fear. You're controlling your physical reaction and you're picturing one thing that is bothering you. So something to be afraid of. You may, you're wise to be afraid of this and then a way to deal with that fear. And so you're beginning to move into a problem solving mode and not let yourself feel so overwhelmed by a whole host of stressors. Okay. Um, can you start like, I, th I feel like, um, it's probably an opportune time to, to define, uh, hypnosis and like, cause most, uh, I would say 99.9% .9 of my audience is going to think a guy on stage and I watching the Andrew Huber episode, I'm kind of aware that there are some pretty distinct differences, but like, can you kind of define what it is? And then we can go into a little bit more about, um, sure. like how you use it, but, uh, Hypnosis is just a state of highly focused attention. Mm -hmm. uh, it's like getting so caught up. You ever get so caught up in a good movie that you forget mm -hmm. you're watching a movie and enter the imagined world? Yeah, that's, that's what hypnosis is like. It's been called believed in imagination. Okay. So you don't judge it, you just experience it. So mm -hmm. you narrow the focus of attention. Um, and uh, the second thing is to do that, you have to dissociate, you have to disconnect um, from other input that otherwise might be distracting you. Mm. And we found that in, when people go into hypnosis, they turn down what we call the salience network, parts of the brain that are getting you ready to react if there's a loud noise or something to okay. pull you away. If you want to get engaged, you've got to turn that off and just narrow your focus of attention and dissociate. So right now, for example, you've got sensations in your back touching that chair behind mm. you, but hopefully you weren't even aware of those sensations until I mentioned <laughs> If you were, we, yeah. can, we can stop the interview right oh, now. Oh, no, I'm in it, man. Yeah. <laughs> like This, you're, is, this you're stuff is so relevant and interesting to me that like, I, f I um, feel like I'm in a semi-hypnotic state, I guess, because this is like... Great. 
Yeah. Well, that's my day job, you know. Uh. <laughs> so, and and the third thing is what scares people the most, and from these these stage shows, which I don't like, um, it, it, and that's what's been called suggestibility. But what it really is is cognitive flexibility. Ooh. So what we found is that people who are more hypnotizable tend to perseverate less on irrelevant things. Ooh. They're more open to changing their mind. So it's a context where you're more likely to accept and try out different ways of adapting to a problem, which okay. is a great context for psychotherapy because mm -hmm. you're not, and you know, what's, what's bad about it for, is when you're using that to embarrass people. So the football coach is dancing like a ballerina on the stage, that I don't like, but yeah. it illustrates that you can get people into a mode where they're so focused on a potential solution Ooh. that they're willing to give up their usual customary ways of dealing with a stressor and try something Ooh. different. And that can be a good thing. Yeah. So it's cognitive flexibility. And so the idea of, of mobilizing this hypnotic state, which many people, not everyone, but many people can experience, Ooh. is that it's a, it's a mode where you have better control over your body, you can disconnect from input that makes you uncomfortable, and you can let go of old assumptions about who you are and what you can do and mm. try new ones. Okay. And the, and the, cause I, I, I kind of thought I would be, uh, and maybe it's just like a, my ego, but like the, <laughs> I kind of assumed I'm like, ah, I'm not, this isn't going to work on me. But then I do pride myself on being somebody that can have their mind changed by new information or by, a sound argument or or whatever just being educated on something i was ignorant of so like uh i guess i get like i guess my next question would be like I'm trying to think of how to form this like the being suggestible like the how do you <laughs> i'm so unfamiliar with hypnosis i'm having a hard time articulating this um So I guess the when when you're doing it on yourself via something like Reverie, um, you're you're it's more of like you're turning down the volume on those out like exterior inputs, so that I can then focus on uh, the process of like something like converting anxiety to fear. Is that is that accurate? Yes. Yes. Okay. You're you're you're, you're sort of turning down the noise both. Mm -hmm internal noise from other perceptions, the dissociation part, and also the noise from your mental expectations of what you should do, what you usually do. Mm -hmm. uh, so you're turning up with the internal and the external noise to just focus on a potential problem solution. And people surprise themselves, you know, they say, you mm -hmm. know, I had a, a young woman who was seven months pregnant um, and uh, she had really bad lower back disease, and but they couldn't give her pain meds because she had a baby yeah, inside yeah. her. And so they did. They tried to implant a nerve stimulator. That didn't work. And so as the bigger the baby got, the more pain she had. It was a pretty mm -hmm. terrible situation. So I had her imagine she was floating in a hot tub. A sense of warm, tingling numbness filtered the hurt out of the pain. And when I asked her, her, her pain was 7 out of 10 when we started. Mm -hmm. She opens her eyes and she says, it's three out of 10, you know, wow. I can't believe it. But she looked angry. And I said, what's the matter? She said, why in the hell are you the last doctor I got sent to? <laughs> the first? 
people are often surprised that mm-hmm. they have a capacity to alter perception of pain. You know, we know stories of, you know, football players who they get they get to the bench. Uh, and and the coach says your right ankle is swollen. What happened? And they broke their ankle during the game, and they didn't even notice it. So, yeah. you know, pain is a mental construct based on physical input, but it's not the whole story. Mm. And so we have this ability to modulate our perception, and that's part of what hypnosis does. It it helps you kind of clean the slate and start out with some new assumptions and see what you can do. Do you, do you encounter a lot of resistance or, or I, I mean, I imagine you have in the past, but like, especially nowadays, like, do you encounter a lot of resistance when you walk in the room and the, and the word hypnosis comes up? Uh, yeah, I was just editing a, 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 a psychiatric illness manual and there were like, um, uh, there were like, you know, 10 different treatments for anxiety in the manual and I was supposed to edit and say, and what was missing was hypnosis. It just mm. wasn't there. And there was there were discussions about anti-anxiety medications and cognitive behavioral therapy and all that. Right. And I'll tell you, hypnosis is the oldest Western conception of a psychotherapy. It's the first time, 250 years ago, that it, somebody thought that a talking interaction could have real benefit. Mm. And we're constantly downplaying the importance of what people can do to help manage their own bodies and their own mental experience. And what we can teach them about doing that. You know, I always think the real treatments are the medical one, you know, the, right. the prescribing medication. And I do that. I'm a doctor. I prescribe meds when I think it's appropriate. But it's not the only scientifically proven way to help people. And so, frankly, what I'm a little uh, fed up with is that after decades and decades, hundreds of studies demonstrating that hypnosis is helpful for pain and anxiety and stress and insomnia and stopping smoking and a bunch of other things. There are still people who dismiss it as just stage show nonsense. And that's part of why I built Reverie. I thought, you know what? I'm going direct to consumer here. I've had it. You know, if there's value here and I want people to get it, and if they're not going to get it through their insurance-based medical system, they can get it in other ways. Yeah. No, that's like I, uh, I remember during the Huberman episode, you mentioned that if if based on the studies you had uh, developed a drug that was as effective as all the studies demonstrate hypno hypnosis to be, it would be being utilized in every major medical facility in the country or if not the world. So you you have a good memory. That's right. I was talking about a study that we published in The Lancet, which is one of the leading British Mm -hmm. medical journals, 241 patients randomly assigned to one of three conditions they were having arterial cut downs something like not uh, different from what you experience but the mm. level of in, invasion where uh, you don't use general anesthesia but for two and a half hours you're lying there with uh, things in your ephemeral artery and mm. you're uh, getting you know, chemoembolization in the liver or they're visualizing stenosis of arteries and things like that. it's not a lot of fun yeah and three conditions one was standard care, which meant you could push a button and get opioids into your bloodstream. Mm. The second was that plus a friendly nurse providing emotional comfort. And the third was the control condition plus training in self-hypnosis. And at the end of an hour and a half, the average pain levels in the standard care group were five out of 10. Mm. In the nursing support group were three out of 10. In the hypnosis group, one out of 10. And wow. they were using half as much opioids. They were pressing the button half as often. So half the pain meds and, and one-fifth the pain that the standard care patients were getting. 
the procedures got done 17 minutes quicker because they were so much more comfortable. <laughs> and you know what? The medical staff was too, you know, this person yeah, was yeah. The anxiety levels were f five in the standard care group, three in the nursing support, and zero in the hypnosis group at an hour and a half. I thought they wow. died or something. I mean, they were, you know, they were just <laughs> mellow as could be. And yeah. there were far fewer complications. So we published that randomized trial in The Lancet in the year 2000. You know, nothing much happened. And so wow. it's like people have trouble believing that you know the strain and pain lies mainly in the brain. That you can help people use their brains differently, to uh, to dramatically control their experience. Wow. And and so you're absolutely right. I just I, I got kind of fed up with it. You know, it's just yeah. a shame that we don't use this resource that we've all gotten. Our gift is that three pound organ on the top of our bodies. Yeah. And it doesn't come with a user's manual. You know, so we got right. to figure out how to use it better. And hypnosis is one way to do that. Wow, that's nuts. Um, that, that's that gotta be I, like that's gotta be so frustrating to like. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the I'll, I'll tell you one other thing. When you, there's a there's a YouTube video of me and Andrew Huberman because mm -hmm. after the uh, the interview, he said, "Well, let me, let's see how." Oh yeah, him. yeah. Well, I gotta watch it still of you hypnotizing him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know it's great because I, I, I do research with him he's a terrific mm -hmm. guy he's a tough minded neuroscientist yeah. and he's sitting there and his hand's floating up in the air and he's looking at it like what the hell is going on here <laughs> like, you know? and I just loved it you know? <laughs> that, and, and that you see that with a lot of my patients this element of surprise I can't yeah. believe I can do this yeah. I can't believe that I've lost one woman the other day said I've lost agency in my left, left hand and arm <laughs> And seeing that you can lose it, because the right arm mm. is fine, but this one yeah. just wants to be up in the air. It's mm -hmm. way up here. And and people learn that they can do things that they never even thought they could. And so it's a discovery experience that has yeah. great therapeutic potential. I'm looking forward to trying to, like, I'm going to watch the video first, but I'm looking forward to trying to get my myself to do that. Um, because good, I, feel, I, I feel like, based on your description, I should be very... Uh, open to to hypnosis, um, and would, so yeah, I'm very much looking forward to uh, going absolutely. going through the app some more. I was going to ask um, the so there's there was a lot of paths. It was when I opened Reverie, and we can talk more about like I mean this is probably going to end up being us talking about Reverie, but the when I opened up the app the first time, it was asking me like what are, what are your main concerns and and uh, right. presumably like the inputs are to choose the path of how the hypnosis is going to happen. But there was such a wide variety of, of issues that it can address that I'm, am I accurate in assuming that, um, it's all going to be a, like is a similar path, I guess, of like, you're, you're addressing the anxiety, converting it to fear so that you can like, we're turning down the volume on all those distractions so that you can do that thing. And then, but there's slightly different variants of how it happens in order to address each thing, or are there big differences? If I like, say, I wanted to quit smoking, is there a huge difference right. in how it happens, or is it that's, pretty that's similar? Exactly. No, there's a big difference. And, okay. And I know substance use problems are, are big ones, and uh, for smoking, we do something rather different. I get your body comfortable, mm -hmm. uh, and that's why we have these different programs because the interventions are different. You know, okay. it's trance and treatment. It's helping people with different strategies that we have developed and studied uh, that work. For smoking, our approach is to say, um, I want you to think of your body as if it were a trusting, innocent creature. 
like uh, a baby or, or a pet yeah. um, and think three things. For my body, smoking is a poison. I need my body to live. I owe my body respect and protection. And this, so we're not saying, you know, fight smoking. You know, one, one thing mm. we people in hypnosis always say is the worst thing you can tell someone is don't think about purple elephants. You know, <laughs> you know, what do you think? Don't about? push you know, this I, big red button. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, or I, I can remember driving up the Connecticut Turnpike when I was a mm. kid and, and, and it said they had big signs on the road that said, are you dying for a smoke? Very clever. You know, and people would think, yeah, actually I am. And they'd light up. I mean, they don't, you know, it didn't work. So instead you say, here's the issue. Your body is a trusting, innocent creature. It, it is as dependent on you for what you put into it as a baby would be or as your pet dog or cat. Would you ever put tar and nicotine from a cigarette into right. a baby? Hell no. Of course so not, give, yeah. your body is every bit as helpless and dependent as your baby is. So treat your body with respect. What you're focusing on is what you're for, respecting and protecting your body, not what you're against. If you're thinking about smoking, that's not the issue. You're defeating yourself. You focus on what you're for. And then I need my body to live. Your body's the precious physical plant through which you experience life. Mm. You're not the same as your body, but you can't live without it. People make the mistake of thinking, well, I'm doing it to myself, so if I stop, I'm fine. Well, yeah. you may be fine, but your body won't be. You've got right. years of tartar and nicotine in your lungs. So, and I owe my body respect and protection is the third thing. For you to do what you want to do with your life, you need to treat your body in such a way that it can enable you to do it. And mm -hmm. we find that, that after one session, one out of five people stop smoking, including wow. people that weren't even sure they wanted to. We had this <laughs> terrific woman who said, well, I tried it, and you know, and I thought, I, I, don't, I don't even want to stop smoking. I like smoking, I've done it for yeah. 25 years, why not? And she tried it a second time, and she lit up a cigarette, and she looked at it, and she said, Feh, who needs this? <laughs> and she hasn't had a cigarette since. Her friends wow. can't believe it. And, 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 and so she's, she wrote to me that this is some crazy-ass voodoo shit, she said. <laughs> and, and she said, and I mean that in a good way. Right. She said. <laughs> So she's not smoking anymore, and she's getting wow. her friends to stop smoking. So you, you can surprise yourself. So it's a different kind of approach than, than the physical comfort one. I try to get people physically comfortable, but yeah. focus on a concept that will make them immediately feel good, not like they're deprived. You say, well, I have an urge to smoke, or I'm dependent on nicotine. I'll tell you, nobody has ever died in nicotine withdrawal. It doesn't happen. <laughs> you know, There are drugs you can die. Alcohol, too much alcohol, you can. Opioids, you can die from overdose or withdrawal. We've had 500,000 people die of drug overdose deaths, two-thirds of them opioids in the U.S. in the last 10 years. That's worse than gunshot victims. It's worse than auto accidents. So the drugs are really dangerous. Yeah. But having an urge, there are a lot of urges we have that we don't act on. You know, right. you'd like all the money in the local bank if it's still solvent. <laughs> you don't go in and take it because you're not, you know. So th there are a lot of urges that we can easily dispense with. And okay. so it's not having the urge. And in fact, research on substances of abuse shows that the mesolimbic dopamine area, it's down in the center at the base of the brain, which is Ooh. our reward system, makes us feel good, is triggered more by the chase than the catch. People feel Ooh. more excitement about going after a drug than they do right. when they actually take the drug. And so the urge is not the issue. It's just how you deal with it. And you, instead of feeling you're depriving yourself, you say, good for me. I'm finally respecting and protecting my body.
so there's not there's not going to be like there's not going to be an issue that similar to like somebody who's just trying to quit smoking without doing hypnosis with the withdrawal because of the the change in their mental state only or they're just more equipped to overcome it i think they're looking for an excuse to keep smoking Mm. Um, sure, people will get a little bit irritable when, if they've been using nicotine as a kind mm. of stimulate, stimulant, they may just feel more fatigued or they may feel right. jittery. It can go either way. But it ain't going to kill you, and the cigarettes will. And yeah. so, uh, you know, and there were other drugs where I would be very worried about a managed medical withdrawal. Mm. But um, cigarettes, not it, you know. Yeah. And so uh, you're, you're just... You know, working for the for the tobacco companies and killing yourself along the way, killing your body along the way. So, the urge is not the issue. Okay. Um, do you want to talk about anything else in relation to reverie specifically? Uh, I want sure. to make sure we we spend a bunch of time on that since that's so accessible to to everyone Thank in you. my it audience. Is. Where yeah. I. I Welcome people uh, to give it a try. The first Ooh. seven days are free, and it's not very expensive. Right. Um, you can download it either www.reverie.com on the Ooh. web, or if you have an iOS phone from the App Store. Uh, if you have an Android, it's from Google Play. Um, and just look for R-E-V-E-R-I. Mm-hmm. And Try it. We also have a test of hypnotizability that's automated, mm. so you can find out how hypnotizable you are. And I'm, I'll bet you were at least in the mid range, and maybe I haven't done it yet. Honestly, like yeah. I, I was yeah. watching the podcast again uh, last night, kind of late because yeah. yeah. I slept during the day because I'm sick right now. It's a mess, but oh, yeah, yeah I, I just did. Yeah. I just was like, I'll just do the sleep thing because I'm about to go to bed. But I, I plan to, and I'm well, I'm interested. Good. Yeah, yeah, you mentioned that the sleep thing helped. Yeah, you for, it at did least for a little while. So here's the thing, like with sleep, for example. Now there, uh, and this is, I know, a huge problem in the Navy. Um, I I was telling you before that I just did a walkthrough of a decommissioned submarine, and I was astounded (laughs) at the conditions in which you you guys have to sleep in. So, you know, because part of the problem with with chronic stress uh, is not just the stress you experience during the day, but how stress interferes with your sleep at night. Mm. And the less well you sleep at night, um, the more likely you are to have trouble dealing with stress during the day. So it's one of these things that feeds into itself. Mm. And here's the issue with sleep. Um, We have two parts of what we call the autonomic nervous system. Mm. It's the part that controls blood pressure, heart rate, sweating, uh, digestion. And there are two arms. One is the sympathetic nervous system. And that increases heart rate, blood pressure, causes you to sweat. It's what gets you ready to fight or flee. Mm. The other is the parasympathetic. It's self-soothing, slows heart rate, lowers blood pressure, helps you digest food that you couldn't when you were fighting or fleeing. And you need that one, the the self-soothing one, to be in command to go Mm. to sleep. Mm. And that's why a loud noise or a jolt, you know, um, will wake you up because it kicks in the sympathetic nervous system. Your heart rate goes up. Uh, and and you have to be ready. And you know, if you're in combat conditions, you need to be ready to f- mm. to fight or flee. But 
um, if you want to sleep and if you want to prepare your brain and your body for what you've got to do the next day, the best thing you can do is to get a good night's sleep. And by the right. way, five hours is not enough. You know, seven <laughs> is more like it. And and you're you know what you're preparing yourself to be a good sailor if you make it a point to get a good night's sleep because right. you're going to be more energetic, clearer in your decision making. Um, you'll function better if you've had that sleep. And the reason is, you know, we all have to sleep. Right. You know, there have been stories of soldiers who are in combat conditions and just can't sleep. Mm. And at some point, they're just going to lie down on the battlefield and yeah. get killed because they can't. you can't function without sleep. And what's going yeah. on is the brain is doing some house cleaning. We have a system in the brain called the glymphatic system. It's like a lymphatic system that drains... Uh, spare parts out of the brain uh, the brain is constantly remodeling its neural connections these Ooh. millions and millions of neural connections you, you can't just keep making new ones or the brain would outgrow the skull so you have to disconnect ones that aren't so useful Ooh. as well and clear that out and that's part of why we need sleep is that it's a time when the brain is kind of cleaning up and restructuring from the work it did the day before and so you have to do that. You, it's mm. not a choice. You have to do it, and you right. have to sleep to do it. And if you don't sleep, your brain's going to be in trouble, and you will feel it. You feel yeah. fatigued. You're not clear. You're fuzzy. You're, and you're more irritable, too, because mm. if you can't make clean, thought-out decisions, you tend to just be irritated by anything that's bothering you, and you don't think well at times like yeah. that. So what we do in, in reverie, and you've had this experience, mm. is we say first, get your body in a place that's comfortable. So allow yourself to be somewhere physically you feel that self-soothing. Uh, and that can be in a bath, a lake, a hot tub, on a beach, mm. floating in space, whatever feels good to you. Get your body comfortable. And then if any thoughts are troubling you, just pretend you're watching a home movie and project them outside yourself, outside your body. And just let, let, the, let the images or thoughts flow, but don't judge them, don't act on them, just let them go. And so in that way, you're allowing the self-soothing part of your nervous system to take over, and that makes you sleepy and tired, and you go to sleep. <laughs> yeah, it definitely helped. I, I think I need to practice it more, but because uh, I probably, it was like five to ten minutes where I was very calm and relaxed and uh, it definitely worked even after like the the part where the app was speaking was done um, and I didn't do the interactive one I just kind of played it and set, set my phone down but sure, that's fine. Um, yeah it, that's it fine. definitely that's helped but I, I then I mean 10 minutes later when I was still awake I start my mind starts to do the you know trying right. to trying to do everything all at once and and um, and I get like that, like lightness in your stomach, like that fight or flight type feeling in my stomach and stuff right, like that. But right, right. Um, definitely helped. Uh, and I and I'm looking forward Good. to experimenting with it more. Um, Good. And that's the advantage of the app is I'm there whenever you need me. You right. Know, I used to worry. I was trying to make something that was almost as good as what would happen to a patient in my office. Mm. And I realized that in some ways, reverie is better because if you if you're having trouble getting to sleep at two in mm. the morning or you know, waking up and falling back to sleep. I'm not going to be there in your bedroom, right? You know, but but I will be on the app, and so you right. can hear it anytime you need it. Right? Yeah. No, it's it's great. Um, how, like, how much does uh, and we I mentioned this a little bit uh, before we started recording. 
how much does conditioning play into some like because with the anxiety and stuff like that's i mean I'm, I'm sure that plays its role as well obviously but how much does like just conditioning play a role in in someone's inability to sleep well because like the i've always suspected that it was part of the reason why i wasn't sleeping well is is i have like a negative association with with going to bed like i was effectively trained by the military that um, like culturally sleep is like viewed as as weakness or something like you're giving into weakness and like it, it was uh, somebody's ability to stay awake for absurd lengths of time and and do the job um which you know it's insane because of the stakes uh, of uh, that are at risk of like what we're doing is like people could get hurt or die but it was for for whatever reason the culture is is like it lionizes people that can operate on the four hours of sleep or or naps on a bench or whatever uh, instead of um you know you get you get in the in the rack and you do like six hours of sleep you get beyond that you're going to be viewed as like weak or given a hard time by a bunch of people or whatever which at the time i didn't recognize to be what i think it became is like this conditioning to to negatively associate sleep right. uh so like how much does that play a role and and i guess what can one do about it to either in the moment combat it or to fix the negative uh, effects you know that's just plain flat out misinformation what i would say to people if you get any static about getting six or seven hours of sleep i'd say look buster when i'm doing that i'm in training i'm prepping my body and my mind to be as effective as they can be uh, you know the other, the rest of the day, the waking hours in the day. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, it's it's a it's a mistake to think that you're slacking off when you're sleeping. You're you're right. preparing your mind and your body to be as effective as you mm-hmm. can be. And there's a very prominent publisher who wrote a book. She used to be like that. She would be in the New York scene where, mm-hmm. you know, if you could get by on three or four hours of sleep a night, that was cool. Right. And she was at a party, and she just passed out. <laughs> she, she broke her cheekbone hitting oh a table goodness. on the way down. Wow. And, and she got the idea that you've, you've got to sleep. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Andre Iguodala, you know, Go Warriors, you know, he, um, he, he, was, he was like that. And he learned to sleep. And he said, I played better. In fact, they actually, he, he was studying, doing free throws. Mm. And when he'd gotten, there was a correlation between the number of free throws he could hit and how many hours of sleep he'd had <laughs> at night, the night before. Right. So, um, and, you know, Iggy, is, he's, he's no slacker, I'll tell you. So yeah. um, it, it's, uh, it, it's just a fact yeah. that when you're sleeping, you're preparing your mind and your body to be as good as you can be during mm. the waking hours. Um, and um, so... Uh, you shouldn't be apologetic. And the problem that you guys have in the Navy in particular is, you know, and when I looked at those bunks and they, you know, it, it obviously was not just bedroom area. It was, you know, right. work area, service area, combat area. You know, I think you were sleeping next to the missiles or something. Yeah, know, I used so, to sleep next to a yeah. torpedo. Good times. Tor- torpedoes, right. And, <laughs> and so that environment triggers arousal, not relaxation. Mm-hmm. And what we tell people when you happen to have control over where you sleep is that it should be for sleep and play, physical pleasure and nothing else. So Ooh. don't don't bring your laptop in there. Don't have a computer in there and work there. 
because the environment triggers these arousal cues and mm. it'll make it harder for you to sleep. So if you have control over your sleep environment, make it as non-stressful as possible mm. uh, because otherwise part of your body is conditioned to react to that setting by getting aroused and ready to fight or flee. So you don't want that if you can help it. If you're in it right. and you and that's part of your life on on the sea, then do the best you can to make yourself comfortable and relaxed as you go okay. to sleep. So probably the best way to combat the negative association is effectively the, just the hypnosis processes that we've already discussed. Right. right. And then if, if I do have control, you know, make it as... But, as yeah, as relaxing as possible. Right. But the okay. other thing I'd say is if you do, you're, you run a leadership program. Mm. If you have um, uh, a leadership if you you know if you have any influence over it, mm. um, what you want to do is uh, is change the environment to make it clear that you are being a good sailor mm. when you get yourself prepared for the waking hours. When you're right. getting your seven hours of sleep, you will be well prepared to function at your best when you're awake. Yeah. And there's nothing to be ashamed of about that. And if that's part of the culture that you want to cheat on sleep. It's a bad idea. Uh, yeah, I agree. <laughs> I wish they did as well. I mean, they it's it's kind of bizarre because the institution studies it. They've they've rolled right. out um, like a more because we used to do eighteen hour days, so you'd have three six hour watch sections, uh, and so you were on this weird cycle where not you know not like a normal circadian rhythm, just like a right. this weird. Um, you know, you're on six, like on watch for six hours, you have six hours off and then six hours of sleep. Um, yeah. And they've since changed it. I mean, it's probably seven or eight years ago, maybe, um, where they're, you're on this eight hour watch rotation now to replicate a 24 hour day. But then they still, it's just, they call it a war on white space uh, within our like schedule. Like we call it a plan of the week. And um, it's, it's like they, are allergic to having downtime. It's re it's a really bizarre behavior because they they are talking out both sides of their mouth, or they're saying sleep's important. You have to get all your sleep, and then they don't give you time to sleep, and then they're like, yeah. and then when you're you're making mistakes because you didn't get enough sleep, it's your right. fault for not being so alert and engaged and getting enough sleep. So yeah, it's just wrong. And yeah. you know, as doctors now, you know, we used to have to work all night to take care of emergencies mm. in the hospital at night and then do a full day the next day. Right. And I, you know, I was part of that too. I remember once um, I, I was, they would pay me for an extra night's work to work as a nurse because they were down on nurses. I was a medical student. Mm. And I, the choice was get paid for eight hours of work at night or get maybe 45 minutes of sleep. And I chose the sleep. I mean, I mm. just thought to hell with this, you know. <laughs> um, it's, and now, um, Residents, you know, doctors have to be awake and working at night too, but mm. you don't have to be working the next day. And now there are rules oh, that good. require that you get a certain minimum amount of sleep. And if you're working nights, then you sleep days, but you yeah. don't just work. Because there was a patient, uh, uh, the, the daughter of a very prominent uh, uh, New York Times uh, board member mm. uh, who was killed in an emergency room by a, just a flat-out mistake in the chemotherapy yeah. she was given at night by a resident 
who hadn't slept in three nights. And Jeez. you can't, I've, you know, I've been yeah. there. I've tried it, you know, when I, I'm sleep deprived. And you can sort of do routine things, mm-hmm. but you just can't think clearly about alternatives or a novel situation. It's much yeah. harder. And you just can't think clearly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the idea, the idea, you're kidding yourself and everyone else if you think you can. So right. um, if you're planning a system that where you want effective men and women doing what they need to do and where important decisions are made, they got to get their sleep. Yeah, for sure. It definitely, there's a lot of parallels. It's, it's, there's definitely times where, I mean, the most, one of the most dangerous things, one of the most dangerous routine things a submarine does is come to periscope depths. And so you're, you're submerged. No one knows you're there. And then you're driving up to where you'd be in range of the, the draft of all the surface vessels that don't know you're there and have no way of knowing you're there. And so it's very dangerous. Um, and yeah, I'm doing that on three, four hours of sleep and it's not even good sleep. And then yeah. what's it, what's even more ridiculous about that situation is the vast majority of the time in the control room of the submarine, like the commanding officer will come in, the uh, chief of the boat is the senior enlisted on board will come in and they're like, for lack of a better word, heckling you like it's like backseat driving almost like they're they're uh, you got to do this. You better you better get some speed. You better. And it's just I already have this cluster of gauges that I have to monitor. I have two people controlling control services. I got a guy over here moving ballast around. I'm doing the most dangerous thing you can do on a submarine. I have to listen to the officer deck behind me like shut up and then. So of course I'm not doing it optimally, but that's not, and then they're like distracting you with their side seat driving and it's just, and then you, of course at the end you're held accountable for your incompetence and it's just like, well, oh my awful, God. <laughs> like, there was that awful incident in Hawaii where a submarine mm-hmm. surfaced and, and destroyed yeah. the Japanese fishing yep. boat. The Greenville. And the guys, it was just a story that you told where yeah. uh, there were, there were there, there were junior officers who knew mm-hmm. there was trouble, yep. but the captain was in there and they were afraid to say anything and there was a yep. lot of distraction going on. And I think 50 fishermen were killed. And I must say, I admired the captain. He actually went to Japan and personally apologized mm-hmm. to every family that yeah. lost somebody in it. But those situations, exactly what you're talking about, where right. people are having trouble concentrating anyway, and the last thing you need is more distractions. You've got yeah. to be able to focus your attention mm-hmm. like you do when you're hypnotized. I mean, you'd be a lot safer if you were yeah. well-rested and hypnotized while you're doing right. that uh, than otherwise. Yeah, what, what's horrific is that commanding officer was fired for what happened. Really? And yeah, he was removed from yeah. command and effectively his career was over, so he retired. But Because uh, yeah. luckily for him, he was at a, a point in his career where he could retire. Um, but yeah, it was, that's, that's the rub is that they, they're going to hold him accountable for bad decision-making. Like, yeah, you should have been sleeping better. Your team should have been trained better, all these things, but the demands that are put on him, it's like, I can't do both. Like I can't get all these things done operationally and sleep for eight hours. Like there's just no way that's going to happen. Um, and commanding officers with the, the responsibility that they have are often, the ones that sleep the least like because they're so yeah, terrified right. something's going to go wrong and they're they're responsible all the time whenever mm-hmm. happens. but the other thing yep. is in that situation he had some fancy outside guests who were with him on the mm. on the trip 
Yeah. And he was busy explaining to them, you know, what they were doing at the time. So it was an additional distraction. And one of the problems, especially if you don't have rest, is filtering out distraction from what you've got to focus on. And that was an example where it proved lethal. Yeah. Um, can you, uh, I'm curious about, I think this is probably the, the last thing that I have on my, on my list, but mm-hmm. the, uh, and you mentioned the uh, integrative medicine, so the mind-body connection piece, like the, right. can you kind of delve into that? Because I found it really interesting, even just the idea that that feeling that I get in my stomach, like I'm able to control that with just my mind. Can you kind of yeah. explain that a little bit? And, and uh, I'm just curious about how that, kind of how that works and what some of the applications are besides what we've already talked about. Sure, so we, we set up the Center for, Mind, for Integrative Medicine at Stanford in 1998, and mm-hmm. it's been running ever since. And it's devoted to, the, to a variety of techniques that help us understand and use the interaction between it and mind and body to help people with serious medical problems deal with them. Mm-hmm. About half our patients are cancer patients, half have chronic pain of one kind or another, we have people with eating eating problems and digestion problems, and um, what we do is use techniques that have been shown in good research to help people better manage their problems. We have people with pain who don't want to be on pain meds, who want mm-hmm. to use their mind, like self-hypnosis or acupuncture, for example, right. to control their pain, and it does help people control pain with far fewer side effects than, than medications. We have a division of functional medicine where we um, have people you think of food as medicine and eat mm-hmm. foods that can help your body cope better with their illness. And we have a big mindfulness meditation program where we have excellent people teaching people to meditate. Now, meditate, mm-hmm. meditation is, is similar in some ways to hypnosis, but it's also different. It's, okay. it's more Eastern. It's, you're supposed to just stop struggling with things. You know, you, you, have, you learn to cultivate open presence. Just let mm-hmm. problems kind of flow through you like a storm going by. Um, where you do a body scan, where you just check out how your body is feeling without trying to judge it or change it. Um, mm-hmm. and, and develop compassion. And compassion is an important concept both between people. God knows we need more of it in the world right now. <laughs> but also with your own body, that people get frustrated and angry with their bodies. So mindfulness is different. It's not meant to solve a problem. It's meant to be learning a different way of being. It's Eastern. Whereas hypnosis Mm -hmm. is involved focused attempt to deal with a problem of various types. So they're related, but they're not the same. So Mm -hmm. we teach those techniques. They can be very effective and they're less expensive and have far fewer side effects than any of the standard things that we do in medicine. Right. And, and what is the uh, like what's happening when like so like when I'm doing, I guess, like the the I don't even know what the term would be like the how how is the mind affecting the body? So like as I'm changing my mental state or as I'm actively trying to address a problem through hypnosis, like how does the brain like make me feel differently, I guess? There are, we've done functional magnetic resonance imaging studies of what's going on in people's brains when they mm. undergo hypnosis. And we found three things happen. One, you turn down activity in the salience network. It's a part of the brain, there's like a C-shaped part of the brain uh, called the cingulate cortex. And the front part is the salience network. It it, 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 uh, it turns on your fight or flight reaction. You hear a loud noise, it distracts you. It's what distracts people 
uh, when they're when they're using their smartphones, if you know they'll float a message by that there's a threat nearby, you better do something. So people, you know, immediately shift and go to that. Um, so you turn down activity in that part of your brain. You just say, okay, okay I'm going to let the world take care of itself right now, and I'm going to focus on this. The second thing is higher connectivity between the executive control network in the front of the brain and the insula, which is a mind-body relay center in the center of the brain that helps you control what's going on in your body, but also be more aware of what's going on in your body. So we found in one study that we could hypnotize people and have them eat imaginary meals. For an hour, they would just take a gastronomic tour of the Bay Area, after half an hour, one woman said, let's stop, I'm full. You know, just eating. <laughs> and we got, we put down a nasogastric tube and we got an 89% increase in gastric acid secretion, wow. just eating imaginary food. So the brain was preparing the stomach to digest Ooh. food that wasn't actually coming right. down their throats. Um, and then if we did the opposite, we had them be relaxed and think of anything except food, we got a 39% decrease in gastric acid secretion. So mm. the brain has this two-way ability to control things going on in the body that we wouldn't expect it could do. The third um, is inverse functional connectivity. So when the executive control network is active, the posterior part of the cingulate cortex back here, um, was activity was turned down. And there, that's a part of the brain that we call the default mode that is active when you're just ruminating, thinking about yourself and who you are and what you're doing. So mm-hmm. you're kind of letting go of your self-awareness to focus on the task that you're doing. Mm-hmm. And that's why people can do things that they surprise themselves about. Um, okay. It's also a part of the brain where activity gets turned down in meditation, you know, because mm-hmm. in meditation you're supposed to get over yourself, you know, just have mm-hmm. experiences and don't connect them with who you are. And so in both of those practices, you find reduced activity in this default mode area. So the picture is that you're able to stop worrying about threatening input from elsewhere. You can get a tighter connection between your brain and your body, and you don't worry so much about the way you usually do things or what it means that you do it. So it's a really good context for changing what you do and controlling what's happening in your body. And a number of studies have shown you can literally turn down pain perception. You can, and, and the words you yeah. use affect what part of the brain. So there's a sensory cortex, the parietal cortex in the middle of your mm-hmm. brain. You can turn down activity with a hypnotic instruction that says filter the hurt out of the pain. Or if you say instead in hypnosis, um, the pain's there but it's not very bad, don't worry about mm-hmm. it. Because a lot of our pain is not the intensity of the signal, but it's, does this mean my cancer is spreading or something like that? Yeah, yeah. And the pain will be worse. Mm-hmm. So you it's, can turn down that activity. We've had people in, in one study turn down activity in the color processing region of the brain. We showed them a grid that was color-filled, said drain the color out of the grid. They did. <laughs> and they reduced activity in that part of the brain. So wow. I call that my believing is seeing experiment. So <laughs> we can control to a wow. great extent what our brain perceives. And that's what hypnosis can tap. That's insane. That color one is like the most impressive one to me that you're like changing what you're perceiving visually. Like, Absolutely, absolutely, wow. they did. And in both directions, if they saw a black and white mm. grid and added color, then blood flow went up in the color processing regions of the oh, brain. Wow. So you could do it in either direction, yes. That's crazy. Is 
is the pain management stuff i don't recall seeing it in reverie when i was going through it oh, last yeah. night is that's an option to we have a pain app and there were four different uh ways okay. of approaching it that we have you can either do what i said a minute ago filter the hurt out of the pain cool tingling mm. numbness you can move the pain around just get at the idea that you can manage it and a lot of people with pain say just the fact that i could change it in some way mm. gave me a sense of control i wasn't just waiting yeah. to feel bad i could do something you can have people dissociate just say you know what leave your body here and go to a beach somewhere else and mm. just enjoy it disconnect from how your body feels and the fourth one that is surprisingly effective is developing a sense of compassion for your body if mm. if you know because people get frustrated you know mm. that damn lower back of <laughs> i'm mine, one of them know, it's just messing up my life yeah knees and, and more, all kinds of stuff yeah yeah but it's like you know yelling at you know it's like the noisy kid in the classroom you know yeah. the more angry you get with it the more attention you pay to it right and if and if you're if that pain you have in your body were instead your three-year-old who just hurt himself Mm -hmm. You know, would you get angry at your three-year-old? No, no, you'd give him a hug no. and comfort him. Right. And you know what? Your body is like that three-year-old kid. It's doing the best mm. it can. So <laughs> if you feel a sense of compassion instead of anger, you're, you will feel better because you will be less irritated by and, and less focused on what's wrong instead of what's right in your body. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Because chronic pain in the military and particularly veterans is... I mean, I would bet the VA probably has the most uh, of its bandwidth directed towards mental health resources and chronic pain. So, yeah, that would, that's something I'm really interested to try as well, because uh, there's stuff that like I have tertiary stuff from the head and neck cancer with the radiation and everything, but which expected and I could probably deal with that as well. But I have things that don't even make sense that I have never had any issues like acute issues with my knees or my hands or my shoulders. And it's just like I'm a hot mess half the time with just and it's it's I'm at a point where I can I can deal with it. Um, but I'm just always in this constant state of like I'm probably at like a three on the pain scale, you know, like a three out of ten just all the time. And it's just become normal. Um, right. And so if I if there's something I can do to address that, I mean, God, that would be incredible. Uh, and I do I do things like massage and stretching and yoga and and uh, yeah, I'm trying all the time. I'm working on. I have a cold plunge. I'm gonna try. I'm like all these things that I'm gonna try to do to address it. Chiropractic care and um, but if there's if I it's as simple as opening an app, sitting down in a quiet room and uh, you know doing it myself, like. It's the most accessible thing that I mean, everybody's got a cell phone. I've seen homeless people in Seattle with cell phones. So it's like you, you could download the that app and and yep. sit in your tent on the sidewalk and address your pain. You I mean, that's <laughs> I love that's that. incredible. I it, it's so accessible. So I'm really yeah. excited to, to go down that yeah. that rabbit hole. Yeah. 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 Well, it's uh, th yeah, that's absolutely right. It's a tremendous opportunity. And we, yeah. you know, it sort of makes sense. You say, well, stretching or massage or something mm -hmm. should make your body feel better because it's a physical intervention. Well, mm -hmm. that's true. But the brain is part of that whole system of right. evaluating and experiencing things like pain. And there's no reason why using your brain, massaging your brain as well, wouldn't mm -hmm. have an effect on your pain. And it does. Right. I'm. Um, very much looking forward to exploring this um thank you Good. so much for for your time uh this was very enlightening i think this will 
I tremendously be tremendously valuable to my audience. So I, I really appreciate you taking the time and and uh, and discussing well, all this with me. Thank you for having me and for being so open about how you're dealing with things and what needs doing. And uh, oh, absolutely, I'm glad if in any way Reverie and I can be of help with that. I can't, I imagine it's going to be of help to more than just me. So so thank you again. Thanks for Great. doing that. That's a you're very it's a very it resonates a lot with me that you're like you you same thing with the podcast thing is my attempt to fix this perceived problem and you right. you identifying that problem okay they're not going to listen and they're not going to put this in the in all of the guides and books and make it part of the standard care model okay fine I'll fix it myself so exactly I, I absolutely exactly. love that approach I appreciate it <laughs> I'm glad I'm awesome glad. all right I hope you all enjoyed that uh, I again I had a great time talking talking to Dr. Spiegel. Um, I was just getting sick as that interview happened uh, and I'm now just getting over it. So um, I, I almost wish it, I was in better health at the time because I feel like I could have talked to him for uh, another hour and a half. Um, really, really interesting take on on all of the things that I feel like are the most common effects of what we do for a living like the anxiety the sleep issues uh and you could even get into more practical things like how we talked a little bit about uh quitting smoking right um check out reverie if you haven't already it's r-e-v-e-r-i on the app store or the google play store uh i think that's the name of it on androids i don't have an android so i'm not super up on that but i know they have the app available there as well and i'm telling you it works like as I've been sick, I haven't gotten to dive deeper into it like I want to, but I, like I tried it out the night before the podcast. Um, and, you know, so like I'm not some super experienced user, but it worked for me. Um, it definitely calmed me down significantly. I, I get this like fight or flight type response where um, my I get that like nervous, anxious feeling in my stomach and heart rate elevates. And then my brain starts racing while like as soon as I get in bed, uh, usually. Uh, and I have to shut that down uh, somehow or I lay there forever and sometimes I even get back up uh, and then come back to bed later. But uh, it, it noticeably calmed me down the very first time I did it. Uh, and so I'm very much looking forward to going down all the other paths. And there are a ton of options in there as well uh, for all the different things you can do uh, with the app. And I'm, I'm not sponsored or nothing like this is just I just think it's a great tool uh, for you all to use. I, I don't want you to think that somebody cut me a check for this because they didn't. Uh, he's just an awesome guy doing great work um, that whose expertise I knew would benefit the audience, but also uh, in the absence of having access to a, a mental health provider for these types of things, you can use the Reverie app. It's not a replacement for therapy by any stretch of the imagination, but there's a lot of things it can help you with. And I thought it was a really, really great uh intervention that he came up with and like we joked about how it's like very my style like oh uh so okay the medical community is not going to get on board with all these academic studies i did that prove that this stuff works fine i'll do it myself and he made an app uh and i think the value is just uh astronomical so i highly recommend checking out reverie uh I really hope this was beneficial for you. It was beneficial for me, uh, and uh, I can't imagine it that uh, that the content wasn't valuable for everyone else. So I was just really buzzing after I was done talking to him, and I, I, I j just excited to share it with you all. So, um, so yeah, let me know what you think. Uh, if you need anything from us, as always, hit us up. Don't give up the ship podcast at gmail.com. You could Facebook message us. Don't give up the ship podcast, or you can DM us on Instagram, Reddit, or Discord at Diaz Podcast. 
you want to support us, go to dgutspodcast.com. There's a donate button on the website, or you can click the shop button on the website, or just look up Don't Give Up the Ship Apparel. That's dgutsapparel.com. Get yourself some Naval Pride and Heritage gear you'll actually wear in public. Shirts, stickers, coins, all the things. They're all awesome. Certified. <laughs> and then... Uh, the best way is patreon.com slash podcast. Pick a tier, any tier. Uh, sign up today. It helps so much to pay all the bills and subscription fees necessary to run the podcast and also to expand the platform into other avenues. So uh, if you can do any of those things, we really, really appreciate it. And it helps a lot. If you can't afford to spend any money, hang on one second. I'm still sick. Throat's getting scratchy. Um, <laughs> if you can't afford to spend the money, I get it. Times are tough. Don't worry about it. You can like, share, subscribe, review us on all the platforms for all the things. You can review us on iTunes. You can share the podcast on social media. You can share the social media posts, tag your friends, subscribe on YouTube, whatever works, wherever you spend your time already. Uh, give us a follow on Instagram, whatever, like anything you can do that helps like tell the algorithms to tell all your friends about the podcast is a, is an enormous help. Uh, so if, if you can do that, you can't spend any money, but you can do that. You can give me a little bit of your time with your thumbs. Just do that. Just to hit some buttons on your phone, share the content, tag the homies. Uh, it helps. It really does. And we really, really appreciate it. Uh, and that's it. That's what I got for you today. Thank you so much for listening. And don't give up the ship. A big shout out to our level five patrons, William McIver and Victoria Livingood, to all the other patrons and everyone that supports us. We couldn't do it without you. You're allowing us to expand the platform, pay all these bills, and continue to push out just awesome content for you as much as humanly possible. And we really, really appreciate you. Thank you so much. (laughs) 